All right, we are going to read, uh, we're going to read the word, uh, we're going to read from John, uh, the end of chapter 9, which we picked up last week. We had the, the blind man, and a man born blind, and he's healed, and there's this trial thing that happens, and we pick up from there, and we talk about the good shepherd. And because today we're talking about hearing God's voice, I would like us to read this together when we read. Um, and many of you may know this, but in the ancient world, reading quietly to yourself was unheard of. You always read aloud. Uh, the written word was a trigger for the ear. Everything was heard. Uh, and so reading wasn't this mental activity. Reading was a bodily activity. It was the thing that you uh, imbibed. And so we, I don't know about you, but I was in school. You had the one kid in the corner who, like, while he'd read, he'd be moving your lips. And you always thought, oh, he's a bit slow, isn't he? Um, but in the ancient world, if they saw someone reading quietly, they thought he was crazy. Why isn't he speaking out loud? This is odd. So anyway, we're going to read this out loud together, if you may. I also would like you to stand for the reading of the word. So here we go. Let's put it on the screen. We'll read it together. Make it even more bodily, all right, with a mild discomfort. There we are. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may be and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him, heard these things, and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, 
and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You may be seated. So I think as I read this passage and reflected on it this past week, I think there are four words for us today from Jesus, four different things that I think Jesus wants us to hear from this particular passage, and I'm going to move into them right away. So I think the first word is from this first section of the passage in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, and it's a word for you. The first word is a word for you. And I think I highlight this for, verse in verses 4 and 5 when Jesus says that they know his voice, his sheep know his voice. And the word I think is for you is that Jesus wants you to know the sound of his voice. Jesus wants you to know what his voice sounds like, what kinds of things he says. He wants you to be able to discern between things that sound like him and things that don't sound like him. He wants you to know his voice. Now, in my experience, a lot of people struggle with this very thing. They want to know, what does God's voice sound like? How will I know it's God's voice? What will I, how will I discern when I'm thinking, listen to God's voice or my conscience or other voices or people telling me what to think and believe? And uh, they expect, I think there's some, there's some confusion. They're expecting, like, volume. Or they're expecting flashing lights in the sky. They're expecting God to say, Hey, you, stupid. <laughs> they want him to, to summon their attention in some special way. And you know what? As I read in the scriptures, almost God almost never speaks in that way. And when he does, people get confused, and people just don't even hear. They hear a voice, and they don't understand it, or there's a loud boom, and they're terrified, and... Uh, that's just not how God most often speaks to us. He speaks to us in much gentler ways. In fact, in terms of tried and tested ways that God speaks to his people, there's two big ones. One of them is the word of God, and the other one is in community. Those are the two tried and true ways that God speaks to his people regularly. Now, let's pause and take a half step back, and let's think about how people approach hearing the word of God. And I thought of this this past week as well. Um, I think it's a lot like someone coming to me and saying, hey, Jeremy, this year I'm planning to listen to a lot of Mozart this year, to really become a Mozart expert. I think, that's great. That's great. What's your favorite piece by Mozart? Ah, I, don't, I don't really have one. Well, where are you going to start? Well, actually, I've never listened to Mozart before in my life. You haven't? Well, how, what are you going to do? I'm just going to listen to music, and I think I'll know Mozart when I hear him. Well, how will you tell the difference between Mozart and Stravinsky or Miles Davis? I'll just know it when I hear it. This is kind of absurd. You would think this person was a little bit bonkers. The truth of the matter is, if you want to know what Mozart sounds like, 
You choose some Mozart recordings, you begin to listen to them, you develop an ear for what Mozart sounds like, you, develop, uh, you listen to multiple recordings, you get a sense for, well, this sounds like this, this sounds like this, uh, and then you know other Mozart when you hear them, you get together with people who know Mozart, and you say, did you hear that recording? They say, oh, it's not as good as this one. You listen to that one and say, wow, that was better. I loved it. And you begin to develop a sense for what these things are like, and then you become a Mozart expert. And a lot of people say they want to hear the voice of God, but they never go to the source of God's voice. Isn't that absurd? Wouldn't you think they were a little bit bonkers? And that's how sometimes I regard people who say, I really want to hear God's voice, but I'm not planning to read his word. I'm not going to be part of his community. I'll know it when I hear it. No, you won't. You won't. It'll boom, and you'll be confused. Or you'll be swayed by all sorts of odds and ends, and you you won't have any center of gravity in these things. So you got to know these things. So the first is that for God's voice, we have the word and we have community. And if you want to know what God's voice sounds like, you should read from the people who've heard God speak. And then read his words in the past. And then you'll have some sense for how these things sound. You'll have some idea for, that sounds a lot like God. I know that voice. And a good rule of thumb is if you're not in the word, you're going to have a hard time hearing his voice. If you want to discern a major life decision and you want God's God's voice to speak to you in that decision, what's my career going to be? Should I marry her or not? Um, Do I go to this missions trip? Do I do this activity? Do I choose choose these friends or not? If you want to hear these kinds of things, you you need to have an ear in the word to know what God sounds like. So when he does speak and it does come through to you, say, ah, that, that sounds like the Lord. The second place is that we listen in community. Uh, Many people think that hearing God's voice is a solitary enterprise, that the way you're going to hear God's voice most is you're going to go on a three-week hill walk alone, and you'll just commune with nature, and then I'll hear God's voice. You might, the solitude might help you, but you are more likely to hear it if you divulge your life to someone who knows the Lord, and they speak a word to you in the midst of that divulging. You speak to a trusted person who knows Jesus. You say, hey, this is going on in my life. And the person says, gives you some feedback in terms of their listening to the Lord. This is the way God, I think, actually most often speaks to us as a church. He loves it. And he'll do it. He'll do it in Christian community. He'll do it when we tell stories. And I, we, uh, I was at a pub with Toby some time back, and we had a conversation about this. And we thought, we agreed that one of the biggest problems we have in the church is that we simply don't talk about what God's doing in our lives. If our regular conversations were peppered with, the Lord is doing this in my life, and then you hear it, and you're like, wow, God's work, and then you have memories of, oh, I remember when God did this in my life too, and then you counterpoint with, I heard God this way too. It's one of the most encouraging things, and I think God never, almost never speaks to you just for you. He always speaks to you for other people. He speaks for the benefit of his people, of his church, to build up, to edify, to magnify his name. He likes to look good. And he likes looking good by speaking through us and to us in a community. So that Toby speaks a word to me. I said, that was the Lord. And Toby goes, that was the Lord. And then we have a great moment. And then we're like, isn't God grand? Jim's there. And he's like, that was God. And then we have an exploding moment of praise for the Lord. And this happens when you talk about what he's done. And so uh, we hear it by telling stories. We hear it uh, by God's word spoken through sermons. It's often, in my experience, it's often the kind of casual aside word. It's almost never the main point that speaks to people. It's always like the anecdote where you tell this side story where you mention pretzels. For some reason you mention pretzels. And the person the night before had a dream about pretzels. The Lord spoke to me through the pretzels. And you're like, wow, that's God's way of showing me that I'm not that important, but his word is. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's nice. And God uses things, and he makes himself known in the using of these casual words. 
And often, most often, I think we hear God's word spoken to us through another believer. The conversations where we are sharing with the Lord one another. These things are not flashy. They're not loud. They're often extraordinarily subtle. And the voice of the Lord, it's, it's, it's not inaudible. It's subtle. He's patient. A broken reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. He is the gentlest master in the world. He'll never force you. And he'll always whisper when he can because he wants your will to be part of what he asks of you. It's powerful. I'm reminded in this of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, it was called the Shema. Let's put this up momentarily. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, uh, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hear, O Israel, Shema Israel. Listen, people. Uh, and I think, among other things, this reminds me that listening is at the beginning of all our formation in Christ. Listening begins it. I'll sit and listen and hear the words of the Lord, and then I'll begin to obey. And we'll talk about obedience again in a few moments time. So we come back to this passage in John chapters 9 and 10, and as we said, Jesus has healed this blind man, man born blind, and he's put on trial. Um, and this, uh, the idea of a voice you obey and healing someone blind uh, begins to kind of, <laughs> John begins to look a little bit like, hey, get it? Get it? He couldn't see, and he obeyed Jesus' voice. And now you think you can see, and you're better off because of it? No, 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 no. It was the hearing and the obeying that mattered. It wasn't the fact that he could see or not see. Let's go back uh, to chapter 9, verses 35. Uh, chapter 9, 35. So Jesus heard that they'd cast the blind man out. Having found him, he said, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man answers, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? In some ways, I think this is the response of a man. I know this voice. I trust this voice. You've asked me a question. I'm going to say, tell me who he is, and I'll obey. Jesus already has the man in pocket. Like He doesn't have to convince him. He doesn't have to do anything. He's got a trustworthy voice, and the blind man, who is attuned probably to, audit to auditory clues, knows voices. He knows that this is a guy I'm going to listen to. Next verse, Jesus says, uh, you have seen him, and it's he who is speaking to you. So I'm going to connect the dots. You're looking at him, right? You couldn't see me before. Now you see me, even though you just heard previously. And the, Lord, the guy says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That's a pretty cool response. I like that. All right, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. In some mysterious and important way, it is hearing and obedience that is the mechanism of judgment, specifically in this passage. It's not what you see or don't see. It's did you hear the right voice, and did you obey the right voice when it came to you? The blind man was better off than the Pharisees who could see. And this point Jesus makes explicitly. Some of the Pharisees heard near him, heard, and said, are we also blind? Ha, 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 ha. Are we born in sin? And now Jesus comes back and says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Like the blind man, you'd be better off. But now because you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You think you understand because you've made a surface judgment. But the truth is, I'm looking at your heart, I'm listening to your obedience, and you're way off. And so this is Jesus' judgment in, these, in this particular passage. All right? So we need to know the sound, of the sound of the voice of our master. The Pharisees could see the master, but they didn't respond to the sound of the voice. The blind man couldn't see the master, but when he heard the voice, he knew it. This is the voice worth listening to. In many ways, we are in a very similar position to the blind man. 
we don't see Jesus walking about, but we can still hear his voice, and therefore we can respond to King Jesus in the exact same way as the blind man. And if we claim we can see, we might be shifting into some trouble. Okay, second word for us today. Second word is the second part of the passage, uh, chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. And the key verse here is chapter 10, verse 7, uh, where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Um, and uh, we, have, we have lots of shepherd images here. Um, uh, apparently in the ancient world, they used, to, they used to build enclosures of stones that would keep sheep in, and there was an open door where sheep would come in and out. And Jesus is saying that he's the shepherd who lays across the doorway. He kind of, he reclines. All right. Except, Joe, you want to come help? Okay. All right. Yeah, here. I'll be the doorpost. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so uh, Jesus lays across the doorpost, and this keeps the sheep inside. Uh, people who enter by, who jump over the fence, they're liars, thieves, robbers. Uh, people who come by the gate are authorized, and Jesus has this very, um, he's a very protective role. He's, he's, um, he's in this place. He's guarding his sheep. He's a good shepherd. He cares for these sheep. Uh, and the point we want to make, I think the word Jesus wants us to hear at this point is that Jesus wants us to know that he's the only way in. I think this is one of the things he's saying in this passage. He's the only way into this. Now, there's a little more background here. Um, there's a background in kingship. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, the shepherd was a very common image for the king. If you've seen the image of uh, the pharaoh's sarcophagi, uh, he's often got the little crook. He's holding the shepherd's crook over one. Uh, that's because shepherding imagery was common in even Egyptian kingship thousands of years before Jesus' time. Uh, the idea of a shepherd, someone who oversees, is common. Management, stewardship, um, the idea that your people are kind of stupid, uh, this, is, this is a very common set of ideas. And so when in the Old Testament they deal with the idea of kingship in books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Deuteronomy, they talk about shepherds. Are you going to be a good shepherd or a bad shepherd? And the bad shepherds take advantage of the sheep, and the good shepherds obey the word of the Lord. And so the prophets are the good shepherds, and the people in charge are the bad shepherds, and so forth and so on, um, and these images play throughout. Now, it's possible in this passage that Jesus has in mind some bad shepherds who are attempting to rule Israel. So, bad shepherd category one, Pharisees. They think they're in charge. They're actually bad shepherds and they're under God's judgment. Uh, bad shepherd category two, uh, there are some false messiahs coming before. There's this guy named Bar Kokhba. He has this revolt before Jesus. Everyone's thinking he's the messiah. They say sorts of messiah things about him. And he's not the real guy. Okay, so he came the wrong way. He wasn't doing the right stuff. And Jesus says... He's a thief and a robber. I'm the actual one. And so this stuff's probably partly in the background. However, um, there's also this business of Jesus being the only doorway. And in that, he's the only voice that we have to listen for. I think that's pretty important as well. There's one door, one gate, and one proper entrance into the Lord's sheepfold, and everything else is false. Now this, I think, is in many ways the scandal of particularity. There's a scandal of exclusivity in Jesus' ministry. And you know, it's not something new to us. This is actually going on in Jesus' own ministry time. I won't read the whole passage, but in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds a multitude, and the crowd comes to him, and they're following him because of their bellies and not because they want to be servants of the king. They think, if we hang out with this guy, we're going to be fed like the Israelites in the desert, and we'll have full bellies. That's actually... Um, you can see. You can see them talking about this. And then they begin having conversations about food. And Jesus says some really weird things, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you can see, you can almost imagine, not only the gears turning in some of their heads, 
but certain people kind of having like looks of distaste, and some of them going, that's disgusting, Jesus. Um, and he is, he's focusing, and what he's doing in this passage, he's focusing the attention of salvation on he, himself, him alone. And even an audience full of Jews begins to be really, really uncomfortable with this message. And it says, John chapter 6 and verse 66, it says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why is this? Because of this stumbling block of how exclusive Jesus' message was. And it was startling in Jesus' time, it's startling in our time. And so in that sense, nothing's changed. Exclusivity of the gospel is not something that we've invented to try and, you know, elbow out people we don't like. It's not how this works. However, how can we ask, excuse me, we ask sometimes the question, how can Jesus be the only way? And how is this possibly fair? And I don't know the answer to the fair question, but I do feel reasonably confident saying it does appear to be Christianity. Like this appears to be what Jesus taught and what Jesus thought about these things. And so let's give some more context to this though. So John uh, chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, again a message of this, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the same kind of doorway language. There's one door in and one door out and I'm it. And you have to focus on me and my voice and the attention on me. Now, once again, we see in chapter 10 and verse 10, let's take one more step. I've given you three passages, and I'm sorry if you have to uh, chase along with me for a moment, where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' message is so that you can have life. Jesus' message is not coming to kick people out. He's not interested in the kicking out business. He's interested in the giving life business. He wants sheep to be safe and secure. He wants people to come in by the right doors and exit by the right doors. And I think maybe the best way to think about this is that it's not that Jesus is the only way because he said, he has a kind of a because I said so attitude. Remember when you ask your parents for those things? You say, can I have another cookie? No. Can I have another cookie? No. Why not? Because I said so. The fiat of my authority rests upon you, my child. Now shut up. <laughs> I don't think that's how Jesus is responding to us in this way. I think it is because there is no other way. He is not being consciously exclusive. He's just telling the truth. And people who talk about other ways are people who say, you know what, have you tried breathing carbon? Think about that for a moment. Have you tried breathing carbon? And Jesus says, I've got oxygen. There is no other way. It's the logic of the universe. He's not being cruel. All right. So Jesus is saying, I'm the only door. Third word is a word for our leaders. And this is chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. And he begins to talk about the sheep and the shepherd and the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. And in the background of good shepherds, of course, are these lurking wicked shepherds. If a good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep, what do the bad shepherds do? I think Jesus in this passage wants us to know how to tell good shepherds from bad. How do I discern the good and the bad shepherd? And I think I've got five words. No, I don't think. I know I've got five words, beginning with the letter F, that describe the bad shepherds. Ready? Number one, the bad shepherd fleeces his sheep. Okay? Mm -mm. Well, wait, wait. There's more groans to come. All right. <laughs> the bad shepherd seeks to benefit himself at the expense of his flock. He sees a wealthy donor come in, and he thinks, oh, I'm going to sit down next to him, make sure he's got lots of attention, have the best seat. 
He sees someone poor come in. He says, ah, forget about you. He wants to benefit. He sees you and he sees, he or she sees you and sees a way to, um, oh, you've got this skill. Let me put it to work. Well, you've got this gift. Let me just use this for my benefit. And they see people as puzzle pieces to be put into the mechanism of his own ego. He's fleecing the sheep for his own benefit. He sees opportunities in his people for money, prestige, for blog hits, for book sales. I'll be one of those pastors with a name that everybody knows. Fleecing his sheep. Second F word, he flees. When there's trouble, the bad shepherd runs. Jesus says this explicitly. But it's not just trouble from wolves coming out. I think the bad shepherd, when there's conflict, the bad shepherd runs from the conflict. Two people having some kind of spat. The bad shepherd just lets it go. I'm just not going to deal with that. You fight it out amongst yourselves. The bad shepherd knows that there's some crisis going on in a person's life, and he ignores the crisis. It's going to flee the problem because it's much too much work to deal with a crisis in this person's life. And so there's an avoidance of the difficult work. Third F word is fracture. The bad shepherd hurts when they ought to heal. Is this a matter of ineptitude? I'm not entirely sure. But the bad shepherd fractures. He's an inept manager of the flock. He doesn't know people's hearts. doesn't know how to listen to people. doesn't know how to listen to the Lord for people. doesn't pay attention to what their real needs are and tries to meet them in certain ways. And so he hurts. The bad shepherd fractures by being different with different groups. You ever met people like this? In one group, they're all smiles and happy. In the next group, they're all critical. So I, I, go, to, I go to the pub church. I've got one personality there. I'm friendly and kind. I go to a home group, and I'm like, that Toby, he's a real scumbag. You know, and I, I, I just I turn it on and off. You do, you do now. Um, <laughs> they're different people with different groups, and in this way they fracture the people of God because they create factions and they divide. They also um, fracture by bullying people to take positions. Common sign of wicked leadership. If you really love the Lord, you'd be playing on the band. I hear a lot of people say that. If you really love the Lord, you'd be serving more. And there's, this is a fracture. Have you listened to the Lord? Have you asked the Lord to speak to this person? Have you said, have you talked to the Lord about doing this? I'd like you to pray more about this. That's a different ask, isn't it? Than laying a kind of guilt on you that could, that could break you as a sheep. Fourth F word, foment. Ah, foment. No groans. You guys are on with me, all right? Uh, the, 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 the wicked shepherd foments by building inner rings by building a circle of trusted people who are inside and who don't really know why they're in or out. Um, and this circle is the, becomes the kind of power structure that governs things. And you're in the ins when you're in the circle, and you're in the outs when you're out of the circle. And you're never quite sure how uh, things move. But if you obey, you get to be on the ins. And if you do the things that are asked of you, you get to be on the ins. And this foments um, division in God's people. It makes people uncomfortable and fearful. Um, it takes pleasure in factions. It's power games. It makes certain people look good publicly so that other people will look bad publicly. A lot of people do this. It's very wicked. Another way to foment this stuff is to motivate through worldly means. Motivate the church through worldly means. Instead of prioritizing the gospel, we prioritize what? Our numbers? What? Our sales figures? What, the impact we have? We measure impact by money. No. And that foments 
All these wicked things. And lastly, my final F word is that they falsify. Wicked ministers utilize God's voice, utilize their voice in such a way that the sheep are confused when they listen to God's real voice. My voice becomes a falsifying power that when you hear God's real voice, you're confused. And sometimes what happens is that people begin to trust the minister's voice more than other voices. Well, we're on the inside, and y'all are on the outside. And don't trust the people at that other church because God doesn't speak to them. He only speaks to us. Those are dangerous places. They're easy traps. So, what do good shepherds do? They do the opposite of these things. I did not have a common letter for all of these. So, anyway. <laughs> Instead of fleecing, the good shepherd enriches God's flock. The good shepherd sees what God is doing in a person's life and says, Oh, I want to see God do more. I'm so excited about this. I want more of this for you. Life and abundant life. The good shepherd is eager for abundant life. He seeks activities that seeks the benefit of the sheep. And so if you are asked to do something by a good shepherd, it's because they think this is for your good. And you know it. You feel it. You're like, oh, I've been asked because they think I'd be good at this. And I don't know if I'm qualified, but I want to try. They enrich. Second, instead of fleeing, the good shepherd stays. They stick with it. They stay in the muck for the sake of God's people. And it's ugly sometimes. Churches can be really ugly places. You know why churches are ugly places? Because your lives are ugly. That's not an accusation. I could pick any room of humans in the earth and say, your lives are ugly. Churches are filled with people. And people have messed up lives. And we come to the presence of Jesus to get some of the mess out in the open, to have the hands of King Jesus working in healing. And you know what? The call of a minister is to be in the midst of the muck with King Jesus. And the wicked minister runs from that muck, creates pretenses. Oh, stop, no more, no more wicked ministers. Third, instead of fracturing, um, the good shepherd binds. There's a healing work. Not always, not always a ministry of miraculous healing, but a healing of hearts, of souls, of relationships. The whole person. It's a holistic um, healing ministry of the good minister. The, the good minister unifies. Where there have been factions where, you know, we don't have this here, but in some churches, um, certain groups sit on this side, another group sit on that side, and they never cross the aisle. Right? Because 30 years ago, Mrs. Johnson went, I don't know, she did something to Mr. Bailey's dog. <laughs> and now the church is divided into two sections. This is, it's absurd. And sometimes you have to dredge this stuff up. That's one of the most irritating parts in ministry is dredging up that stuff and saying, this is what you're fighting about? And sometimes you have to say, this is stupid. Let's get over this. But you have to stick it out, so you bind. Fourth, instead of fomenting, the good shepherd clarifies. You will know where the good shepherd stands. The good shepherd leads with proper authority. The exercise of authority is done in a way that benefits the people, but you know, you know where things are, you know where things lie. There's no inner and outer rings. There's a clear mission statement, a clear advancing. Things are moving nicely, and that's the activity of clarifying. And lastly, instead of falsifying, the good shepherd points. Instead of using my voice as a surrogate for God's voice, the good shepherd uses his or her voice to point to King Jesus. I like to call this the ministry of John the Baptist. Any art historians here? Every time you see John the Baptist in the Bible, 
Every time you see John Baptist in art, what's he doing? Right? He must become greater. I must become less. Every minister is called to the ministry of John the Baptist. Him. It's about him, not about him. You've got to point to the king. And that gives real clarity. Now, as I thought about these things, I'm going to pause. I'm sorry that Carol's not here. Toby and Carol. I've been here for one. Toby, Carol, you're not here, but you're listening later. <laughs> and so now, my voice is coming to you. through. <laughs> It is. It's, I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to it. She's going to send me a note. It'll be great. Um, I have been here for a year, and I've been able to, to sample your work among people, and you have been good shepherds. You have enriched. You've stayed. You have bound. You have clarified, and you have pointed to King Jesus. Well done. Jim. <laughs> see where that's going. You know. You know. What a joy to sit at Toby's feet. What a privilege. Carol. Rachel. Carol. Too. You, guys, you guys are in it. What a joy. And so you know what the good looks like. And pursue the good. And flee the wicked. It's clear because Toby helped to make Toby and Carol helped to make it clear. What a joy. All right. So there you go. That's five F words <laughs> for bad effing shepherds. <laughs> and I can think of another F word for them, which is fools. Which one were you thinking of? <laughs> um, to hear um, some of the words of Scripture on these foolish shepherds, let's look at Jude 10 through 13. This is not a book we regularly preach from in the Bible because it's just so intense. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are blame, blemishes on your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, looking after themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild ways of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." Now, the good news is, is that you don't hear words like that applied to the people of God generally. You just hear them applied to the shepherds. And James is very clear that not many of you should presume to teach because we will be judged more strictly. And now, however you feel about strata and about hierarchies in the Bible, it seems clear that if you mislead God's people, you are in a heap of trouble with God. So we who have microphones must beware. We must beware. All right, our fourth and final word is a word for the community. 
And I'm not going to reread the passage, but um, we have the, the section of the Jesus conver- having a conversation with the blind man. And let's just have 10.16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I think that in this, Jesus wants us to know how to discern sheep from wolves. How, how do we tell who really is in and out? Um, and these are imperfect metrics because, because everybody, we've got this parable of the wheat and the tares, and Jesus says, don't pull up the bad stuff because it might damage the good stuff. And I think that by the miraculous power of God, and Jim and I were talking about this the other day, by the miraculous power of God, sometimes God turns bad stuff into good stuff. Like you might make a premature judgment and say, this guy's out, and God has a miracle in mind with that person's life. And so sometimes we have to be patient. Anyway, the quick answer for us to know how to discern sheep from wolves is do they know the voice of Jesus? Do they know his voice? And again, I want to say that the word here in Greek is linked to the word for obey. If you've heard someone, you've obeyed them. Um, My son Moses is occasionally and selectively deaf. And so I'll ask him a question. I'll say, Moses, have you put toys away in your room? And his inaction tells me that it's very likely he didn't hear me. If I said, Moses, if you clean up toys in your room, if he jumped up and ran, I would know he'd heard me because his obedience was the active sign that he'd heard God's voice. And in that way, in a very similar way, when we are seeking to obey, not obeying perfectly, when we're seeking to obey God, that is a sign that we've heard what God is asking us to do. I'm trying. I'm trying to hear his voice. I'm trying to do as he asks. Um, The second answer is to look for fruit. And I'm going to skip the scripture for this, but Matthew chapter 7 talks about uh, the fruit, how will you know sheep and wolves? By their fruit, you will know them. What do they generate? What are they creating? And he's speaking, I think, about leadership here, but I think it applies more broadly. So three criterion, which just come from what we've just said. Criterion A, do these people listen to Jesus? If they listen to Jesus, are they listening in a community? There's a lot of people who say, I know what Jesus is saying, but they don't have a community. They just have a YouTube channel. Avoid them. Okay? You want to listen in the community. Uh, do they know and obey the master's voice? Do they, do they exhibit an attempt to be obedient to the master's voice? That's important. Uh, criterion B, according to our overall passage, how'd they get in? Have they entered by the sheep gate, by Jesus, or are they trying to slip in another way? That's harder to measure, but it's, it's just have questions about it. Talk to me about how you follow Jesus. Oh, well, they should have, a, they should have a, especially if they're a leader, they should have a story about these things. And third criteria, do they enrich, stay, bind, clarify, and point to the king? Do they do the work of a good shepherd? So those are our four words today. Those are the four things that I, I felt were coming out of this passage um, for us. And as I thought about our response time and about our songs, I had three things to say. I'd written down two, but while I was worshiping earlier, I had a third come to me. That's always fun, isn't it? So the first thing was this, the thing that I had, the picture I had in my head, uh, because I have a microphone privilege, so I didn't have to come up to anyone. I could just say what I thought. Isn't that nice? We were singing about the king, the kingship of Jesus, King Jesus, we're glorifying his name, and I, I had a sense of his pleasure in us. Just a sense that King Jesus was present and experiencing pleasure. But his pleasure is not that you're saying nice things about him. It's not that we're saying, oh, Jesus, you're awesome. And he's like, yep, awesome. You know, he's doing a Holy Spirit flex, like, boom. You know, all these kind of, he's not, it's not that. His pleasure, his pleasure is that when you glorify him, he gets to glorify himself in you. His pleasure is, oh, you're worshiping me. Now I can do more in you. 
Now I can enrich you. I can give you more gifts. I can lift up your life. I can, pray, I can raise your spirits. I can heal you. I can do things. And I think in this time of worship we're going to come into, Jesus, I, I want to say, I want to guess that he feels the same. When you sing, he's excited that he gets to do things in your life. That's great. So second is as we pray and enter a time of prayer is this. Some of you, most of you, my guess, is you want to hear God speak. And up here is a great place to hear God speak. When people, we pray for each other, and God's voice works through one person for another, and you have regularly amazing moments of, wow, this happened to me this week, and I had no idea God was going to speak this way. So this is a great place to make that happen. But second, the other thing on my heart this week was this. Some of you have been wounded by bad shepherds. Some of you are bearing pain and wounds of people who were stupid, and they should have been kicked out of their offices, or they were inept, and they weren't trusting on the Lord, or who knows, maybe it was casual, maybe it wasn't even intentional, but they hurt you, and maybe you need some healing in those things. So now, uh, we're going to have a time of prayer, and uh, if you want prayer, come forward and receive it. Members of the home groups will come forward and lift you up as well, and I think Rachel has something to say, yes, no, no, (laughs) pray away.